The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. And may I say, for those who celebrate the holiday, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah. Uh, it is Sunday. It is Easter Sunday. And uh, we are, there's actually hockey going on. So And we are here. Days. Eight days, eight days from the trade deadline. Oh, goodness, yes. If there isn't a more important day in the year, I don't know what it is. Um, probably free agency day might be more important. Uh, but Depends on who's available. <laughs> well, <laughs> any sort yes. of left, any sort of left shot defenseman in the Bruins case. Um, although they could probably use one before eight days from now. So uh, They could use one. Oh, Four months ago when they let Krug go. Yes. Oh, did I say that out loud? I know it's a sore subject for a lot of people, but... I'm pretty sure we've talked about it quite a bit on the show. No, there's 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 no way we ever mentioned it. Oh, okay. I, I, could, ima- I could just be imagining things. It's kind of yes, like when I look right. back to... I look back to a year ago and some, the more things change, the more they stay the same. A year ago, we happened to be talking about what's wrong with the Buffalo Sabres and how is there a way to fix it. And you fast forward to a year later, it's not fixed. (laughs) And they're looking like sellers again, and they still have no idea. The only thing that's changed is the coach. (laughs) Again. Again. Oh, the Pagulas are still around, so I guess that's, you know. Like, do they just put, like, I don't know, do they just put, like, a paper sign on the coach's door? Or does the sign just say, this week's coach? I think they have, I think they have automatic payments monthly to, um, Indeed to send them candidates. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, every now and again, they have, every now and again, I think they actually have to hire one of them. So that they keep their contract in in, in good standing. Well, With, good to know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the I, – I would not know how to fix that team. But, okay. We're actually – I don't know. Do we have anything about Buffalo today? I don't think we do. We're going to uh, alone for the day. Maybe that uh, second-to-last story uh, – <laughs> Okay. We'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> Um, but there's there's a lot of in and out, a lot of signing. Uh, a lot some, of signings happened, and I didn't see any of them come. Well, I not didn't see any of them coming, but didn't hear about any of them. I actually nope, stumbled they, across them. The news really was pretty light. There were even a couple of trades that just, I mean, they're fairly minor trades. They didn't involve the local guys, but nobody, nobody, nobody seemed to. Um hasn't been any major movement in relation to like trade deadline stuff or, or expectations that, you know, like the Bruins are going to go after a certain person or the, the Rangers are going to go after a certain person. Probably. No, I mean, we, we talked about the Brendan Lemieux trade on the 27th, which yeah. was amusing. And yes. since then there've been two trades that are, you know, pretty low, pretty small, um, 
Christian Wollian landed with the Kings in exchange for Michael Amadio. If you can name uh, Michael Amadio, Amadio. If you can pick either of them out of a lineup, uh, you're doing better than I am. Christian Wolanin and Michael Amadio. I've heard both names. I couldn't tell you where they were playing before the trade unless I read the story. Uh, and then just uh, two days ago, uh, the Blackhawks acquired Vinny Hinestroza. He's uh, back. Brad Morrison. Wasn't he a Blackhawk before he went to Arizona? Isn't everyone a Blackhawk before they become a Blackhawk? <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to be some Duclair, sort of requirement. Duclair made, his way, Duclair made his way through Chicago at one point, didn't he? Yeah, he'll probably <laughs> land back there at some point, too. <laughs> and yes, you're right. Uh, in the 17-18 season, uh, from 15-16 to 17-18, um, Hinnestrosa was a Blackhawk. Vinny is back. In fact, he was drafted by the Blackhawks uh, in Black 2012. I thought so. Okay. A Chicago native, too. Well, that explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with the home team. Uh, there have been a couple and and a couple of key injuries, and the Ekblad one was kind of ugly. That's one of the. That's got to be the biggest injury right just, now. Just the way he twisted that leg underneath him because the skate like dug into the ice. It wasn't like. Anybody did anything to? No, there was no, there was no aggressiveness. There was no, you know, high hit to the head. This, uh, the way that his skate stuck as he was trying to, t- and it was ugly. So he's out for, I think they said twelve weeks. Which twelve weeks did have surgery on it. The, the, I mean, the surprising thing about the story was that the how specific they were about the 12 weeks. It wasn't like, well, you know, he's just week to week. They're pretty firm on this 12 weeks. And I don't know how they can. Yeah. Normally it's like 10 to 14 weeks or uh, three to four months or something like that. But I'm assuming this is surgery sutures removed. uh, Additional week of healing time or something like that. Yeah, and, and I mean, they knew it, and unfortunately, with stadiums being, you know, 10, 12, 15% capacity, unfortunately, everybody could hear him, uh, but they were out there immediately, got him off, got him on into an ambulance. Uh, it, it does throw a, a little bit of a wrench into any plans that Don Sweeney may have had, because now we've got other teams looking for defensemen, and we all know that Sweeney is actively shopping for one. Actively shopping, not actively acquiring, which is his M.O. Because, <laughs> you know, if he were actively he acquiring it. people um, or useful people, he'd have had a defenseman two or three years ago when they needed one. Oh, hey, that would have been a good time to do it. You know, when they had already made it to the Stanley Cup final and an extra veteran defenseman who was useful, unlike John, uh, unlike a certain uh, John Moore. um they might have actually won that one. Yeah. Yeah. The other. Yeah. The other key injury that I didn't even hear about. And, uh, apparently, Kasperi Kapanen and this article was actually written back on March 25th. So it would have been back before the last show. Um, but apparently he's week to week with the dreaded LBI. Uh, and of course, um 
Brandon Carlo injured again. Nothing specific other, other than upper body. I don't understand that. How, how did – I mean, is it related to the injury that he had and he came back too soon, or is it – I think this is a fresh injury. Um, his balance looked slightly off in that game, and I don't know how much of it was hesitancy and how much of it was um, still rust, I mean, pure rust. But it was also a head injury that kept him out the first time. I mean, it's possible that he had, you know, a minor neck injury that went, that was disguised by the head and by the concussion. Um, And that could have contributed to his balance and stuff like that. But he did look slightly off. He didn't look bad, but it was clear he wasn't at his best. Um, And then, yeah. And who knows what Duke Rask's injury is? Um, I don't. Uh, they, I read something, and I don't know how up to date it was, but I read something that said he's not responding to treatment the way they expected him to. And he came out for that first period. Uh, had a little bit of a hitch in his giddy up when he came off, and then second period, Halak comes out, and we haven't seen anybody since. Thankfully, Dan Vladar has been doing. A pretty good job in net. He did get his first loss. Um, yes. But having watched that game, uh, I'm not blaming. Would have lost I'm, that game. I'm not blaming either of those two goals on him. First of all, because they did not play well in front of him, and the fact that the Bruins can't seem to score goals until yesterday. And that brings up one of today's questions uh, that I specifically wanted to come at you, Cold. Ooh, okay. You and I have talked about what we think about this team all season. Does yesterday's game change your opinion of where the Bruins can finish this year? Sadly enough, no, because it's been too inconsistent with with putting up numbers like this. When I look back at the season as a whole, there's too much time where they can't manage to score goals. My other issue is the fact that a lot of the goals were still scored by the, the Rafters, same three people, the Rafters yep. line, even though they took pasta and put him on the second line with Krejci, which they and, should have done a month ago. And it was also nice to see Krejci get his 500th assist. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, I think unfortunately, no, it doesn't change my opinion of where they're going to finish. Because it's just – we don't see this kind of offensive output enough. No. Too often we see zero goals, one goal. They fall behind one nothing, 2 nothing. They're too busy fighting back in the last half of the third period. If they played the whole game like they played the last half of third periods, they'd they be in win first place. every game 10-2. to two. <laughs> Because the energy that they expend in the last 10 minutes of a game is ridiculous. And it, yeah, and it just, it's just the thing that snowballs. And then you get Cassidy, who's upset at his, at his press conferences. You get uh, the fans are, are rah, 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 you know, we should trade this guy. We should trade that guy. Nothing's going to get done because we know Sweeney is not a fast mover when it comes to plugging holes or doing what he's got to do. I think the fact that they left guys like Anton Bleed and Zach Senishin out there, I think they were trying to or hoping to showcase them. I don't think that they were being called up as a way to actually fix the team. 
So no, it, it's not going to, it, it, it was nice to bleed, see. He actually looked pretty solid. He does look solid. I, I mean, we've been watching Anton since his first development camp and it was he, unfortunately a long time ago at this point. He, he and Oscar Steen, Oscar still plays the same way as well. They both play like if they don't give everything, then they're not going to get another chance. And they've been the two of them have been that way since they first stepped on the ice at Restucia. Uh, Steen wasn't Steen didn't hit the ice at Restucia, but um, I thought he did. I thought he got one year at Restucia. Uh, no, Oscar Steen's only twenty three. Anton Bleed is like three or four years older. I know that, yeah. No. And, uh, yeah, three years older. Bleed is 26. I thought Steen got a year at, at Restu. My apologies. Okay. Um, but, yes, first question out of the box. Yeah, no, it doesn't change anything. And as much as I've always liked Steve Camper, he looked bad <laughs> yesterday. Him and Tenorti are a pair that is less than the sum of its parts. Because yeah, Tenorti has looked good in some games. He's gotten beat by faster players. Not he's much. Not yet. Yeah, well, he's not exactly. Uh, he's not a speed demon. No. Thank you. Yeah. He's not Grizzlick. <laughs> Zaboral did not. Uh, Zaboral had his worst game in like a month. Zaboral hasn't. Zaboral hasn't looked right since. He hasn't co- looked good in a couple of in a month and a half, but he had a bad game yesterday. In fact, I really don't think that anyone except Grizzlick and McAvoy actually looked good against the Penguins. Would it surprise you to know that they are the top defensive pairing in the NHL, depending on yes. which stats you read? And if obviously, you look, uh, yeah, you're talking about Fluto's uh, story for the uh, Athletic, uh, Fluto Shinzawa, who's always an interesting read. Um, there are certain of the advanced stats that I tend to weigh less heavily than many people. Uh, Corsi is one of them. Expected goals for, I think, is largely. I don't. I don't think it's as firmly quantifiable as others. But yeah. Uh, but I, I like the shots for and against allowed because I think those are things that you can largely control. Um. And this goes back to <clears throat> what we've been saying about Grizzlick since he since we saw him playing in college. Oh yeah, he is well. the quietest defenseman I've ever seen in terms of <laughs> just getting stuff done without people even noticing he's there. Like, oh yeah, if you get to a game or they're focused on the defensive zone when you know that Grizzlick and um. McAvoy or on the ice or Grizzly and whoever watch him. He will, there will be someone near the crease or several someone's near the crease with the puck or hoping, waiting for the puck to come in and he will quietly skate in like three strides, grab Mm -hmm. the puck, either flick it out on a wrist motion that lands somewhere on someone's stick or in, in their skates or take two strides backwards, one stride uh, in whichever direction gets him the most separation, and then haul backside up up ice uh, before making a great uh, exit pass or maybe an entry pass into the offensive zone. And he does it. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to check anyone. He doesn't stick lift. He doesn't hack anyone. 
he just waltzes in, waltzes out like he's a ghost. Now, a question from me: reading that, reading that article. Yep. Would you, when we first saw Grizzly, when he was first drafted, when he first showed up at Dev Camp, would you have thought that we would be mentioning his name in an in a conversation talking about best defense pair in the NHL? Regard, Not with and, his and again, part. statistics are what they are, and you can use statistics to make anybody sound fabulous, make anybody sound horrible. So when you say that they're the best defensive pair, yes, it's based on the statistics that Fluto quotes in his article. But and those are some strong, those are some good statistics to use, like you said. I mean, the Corsi one, I still don't understand Corsi, I hate to admit, but... Well, Corsi is a multiple stat. It's a compound stat of multiple events, which makes it harder to quantify in my opinion and less predictive um i mean you can measure and say yes this happened but i'm not i'm not sold on it and i'm not going to dive into it no. but um but these two have been like i would gris like i said at worst was probably going to be a really really good number three defenseman yeah i think that's where we put them second pairing um I'm like, I, despite my criticisms of McAvoy, I do like him in spots. He I just, think when he goes into the offensive zone and doesn't linger below the dots, he's good. He, in some cases, he's really good. He needs a he needs a defenseman that can allow him to do that though, and that and and Grizzlick, a because they've played together for so long, having been together again at, at BU as well. They know what they're going to do. Uh, yes. But McAvoy um, needs a stay-at-home partner. McAvoy needs a partner who's actually faster than him. That's one of the other key things. Uh, and Grizzly is. is faster. Um, okay, the other area that I like uh, McAvoy is when you get him with the puck above the circles coming out of the defensive zone. Mm-hmm. He's making a smart pass most of the time. Is he making the best pass all of the time? That's a pure judgment call. But he's making a smart pass that's not going to get intercepted a high percentage of the time. Now, sometimes that play, the receiving player gets whacked eight-tenths of a second after the puck gets within arm's distance of them. Mm-hmm. But it's usually not directly intercepted. Which okay. is more than you can say for a couple of guys who play on that blue line. We've talked before. <laughs> yes. I do not like McAvoy coming back into the defensive zone. He's definitely better when he's set up in the defensive zone than when he has to come back and skate with someone. Um, I think Carlo is hands down the best on the team when it comes to skating back into the zone against someone, whether okay. he's skating back or skating forward. And well, Some sure. of that is the superior reach, but um, it's like Lozon. Lozon looked good, then he got hurt, and when he came back, I don't know if he was. I mean, there's rust, obviously, but he throws a couple of bunnies right up into. First of all, I think they teach you from a young age that you don't throw the puck 
into the center of into the slot area in your own you know in your own zone. I don't know that they're actually teaching that anymore. <laughs> not not based on the evidence. But he threw a couple of bunnies up, him. and I just I. I don't know if he came back too soon, if the wrist is still bothering him, if, the, if it really was just rust, but he hasn't looked the same since coming back from the injury as he did before getting hurt. Uh, Zaboro is Zaboro, and I don't know that he's... I think he depends on who he's paired with, but yeah, Grizzly McAvoy is good going forward, uh, he has good zone entries most of the time, but yes, coming back into his own zone, not so much. Uh, no. Um, and Pluto's article made made mention of uh, Eckhart, who Eckhart. Uh, plays for Nashville. Oh, Matthias Eckholm. Ekholm, sorry. Uh, as he should be that as, as that's the that's the guy that they should be targeting, or that's the guy they think they're targeting. The problem is again, like I mentioned with Ekblad in Florida. Now Florida is targeting Matthias Ekholm. The price is going up. Oh, obviously. <laughs> so I mean, that brings us around to. I think we. I mean, we both like um, Ekholm. Well, yeah. uh, he's been a stalwart of the defense in. I think we both liked everybody on that defense at one point or another. Yeah, he's Ryan been a Ellis, stalwart of Matthias the defense Echo. in in Nashville for years. Yes. One more year on the contract, three point seven five. Only thirty years old. Um, so if he no. likes it, you like him. You can re-sign him at a raise into in a year. And still have a solid contributor for another couple of years. He would be bringing him in would have would bringing him in would actually give and like it says in the article would actually give Cassidy the option of keeping McAvoy and Grizzly together because that was the whole picture of the article was that these guys are the best tandem in the NHL but you can't keep them together unless you make a deal because you can't afford to have all that talent in one pairing and have the other two pairs be subpar. Well. Not unless you can make the right move. Oh, is that important? I mean, yes, getting uh, yes, getting him or getting Ekholm would be great. Mm. But it's not like there aren't other useful defensemen who might just be available some point in the at somewhere I, else in the league. I could throw a name at you. Throw the name at me. I know you're not going to like it because I don't think you like him as uh, – and I liked him better five years ago too, but um, Alexander Edler. I don't hate the idea simply because it would be nice to have a veteran who's actually useful and has gone deep into the playoffs and still has some hunger if you believe that it's worth spending to get – uh, to get someone um, this year and maybe next year. Because Edler, ha- Edler is actually a free agent at the end of the season. He is 34. He's a bit older. His yep. cap hit is $6 million. Uh, 
but is it does it make more sense to bring him in? Is he gonna give them I mean he's left shot defenseman again playoff experience, not that Ekholm doesn't have that. I just think that Ekholm's gonna be so sought after that the price is gonna be too high and I think Edler while money wise may be a little more expensive, I think to get him is gonna cost less. And the Bruins don't exactly have trade capital lying around the, the office floor. Wait, you're you're saying that the twenty that a uh, that a team ranked in the twenties for uh, their development system isn't at the top of the league in terms of uh, in terms of quality? Hush, hush, you. Um. Okay. Because yeah, my arguments make no sense whatsoever. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Adler's not exactly having a dominant season this year. He's got no goals. He's only got six assists. He has played in 36 games, so he hasn't missed anything. Uh, Vancouver, I thought we were going to see more out of them. I really did. I know that we both predicted. Uh, but would get it, would making a move for him make more sense. And do you have any other names that you could put in place of Ekholm or Edler? Um, not ones that don't cause more disruption than they might actually fix. Okay. Because I was thinking, um, that given the right trade inducement, Mm -hmm. the Dallas stars who are, desperately in need of scoring even more so than the Bruins really they're terrible okay they're not even close to the playoffs in a not very good division uh they have 95 goals in 34 games admittedly uh let's see the Bru- actually, no, they are scoring slightly better than the Bruins, but the Bruins are at 89 goals in 33 games, so neither one of them is especially spectacular. Okay, fair enough. Who are you trying to lure away from Dallas? And if you don't say the right name, then... Um, I was... Well, actually, there's two guys I would go for, but one of them just doesn't make sense from a cap standpoint. <laughs> okay. Um, originally, and I didn't put this at a high probability, but originally, uh, given that he has one year left on his contract, uh, right defenseman, John Klingberg, Klingberg, who actually is cheaper money wise than Adler, younger than Adler. Um, but he's a right defenseman. Yes. Uh, if we want to stay, keep looking at the same team, I can't see them letting him go. But Essa Lindell, I think, would look pretty snazzy in a Bruins uniform. The fact that he signed to the deal that he signed to, I don't think they're going to be making any moves for him. I was actually thinking Jamie Alexiak. Um, First of all, that, that's I think a, he's a third-pairing guy, not a second-pairing guy. First of all, that's a big boy. Yeah, I still say he's a third-pairing guy, not a second-pairing guy. 
But okay. okay, here's the trade though. Essa Lindell. Okay. For Jake DeBrusque and seven first round pit. No. Um I'm no, not that's about gonna get it done, yeah, sure. <clears throat> that's probably what Sweeney's gonna offer, but Jake DeBrusque, Andre Kasha, and Zach Seneshin. Okay. I don't think it's going to get it done. There's not enough. There's not enough oomph coming back. I mean, DeBrusque is streaky at best. Kasha, as much as I liked him, because when he plays, he actually, he's physical without going overboard. The trouble is that he doesn't score much either. And Seneshin still in, I want to say he's an unknown quantity. I don't think that's the correct term. He's a, <sighs> haven't seen enough of him. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of him at minor league level. He's not he's a top just, six player. Right. I get that. So I don't think that that's going to get it done. Not for Lindell. Here's the thing with them though. They haven't seen. Have you seen uh, Tyler Sagan on the ice at all this year? No, because he's still recovering from his surgery or whatever. Yeah. And uh, they have what is it? Five UFA forwards this this uh, to sign this year, with no idea what the cap is going to be. Cogliano, who's making three and a quarter. Como, who's making 2.4. Uh, and then they have Tanner Kiro and Justin Dowling, who are both making under a mil. Um, but they also have three more Uf- uh, RFAs to sign. Uh, picking up picking up uh, Kasha and Seneshin uh, would give them more uh, control of their cap. Or at least their spending. Um and DeBrus, 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 is he? You know, uh, he has one more year on his uh, on his contract too, and is still an RFA after that. Um, I think the okay. cap control for given the uncertainty of the now is something that uh, they'd appreciate. The uncertainty of the now, I like that phrase. My only, I spent I, two I, hours working on it yesterday. Like two whole hours or like you were eating lunch in between and and whatnot. So two whole hours. I was in the lotus position uh, doing my goat yoga, meditating about the universe and that one. I have never actually done – well, I've actually done yoga in the past. I don't know that I've actually done a lotus position yoga, but hey, anything's possible. I, I I wouldn't mind, I I would not mind at all getting my hands on Asselindel. I I think he's really good. I just don't see him getting moved by Dallas. Not and with the contract. And you're probably right. I mean, I I would consider it a long shot myself. Um, are there others out there? I'm sure, I'm sure if I dug deep, I could come up with a list. But I mean, we talked it earlier in the season. About one guy who makes 
<clears throat> who can create a whole lot of fun for your uh, for your top three defense among your top three defensemen. Uh, we have him slated to talk about later in the uh, <clears throat> later in the season, but Dougie mm-hmm. Hamilton, he, he's been one of the most offensively productive <clears throat> defensemen over the last half just, decade. Just scored his hundredth goal in the NHL last night. He's a UFA at the end of the season. He's been rumored to be traded since he landed in Carolina. He's rumored to be traded when he gets traded. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why everybody rumors him to be traded. It, it, he's a little weird. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think anyone, no one has said anything specifically bad about him. We've heard some interesting tales about uh, people he's related to, but <clears throat> if they're actually going to move him, Bruins might be able to get him for not a huge amount. Dougie Hamilton. Yes. Unfortunately, he is a right side defenseman, which creates a little screwiness. Dougie Hamilton reboot or or 2.0 or the return or. (laughs) But this like if he comes back, he gets power play time immediately. Well, obviously. First unit or second unit, he gets that power play time. And he's a good enough passer that you're but going to get but good exit on the, passes from two or three pair from two pairs at least. Is scoring on the power play a problem for the Bruins? Well, no, or? it's the five on five. Uh, exactly. I mean, their five on five scoring for the Bruins is atrocious. <laughs> I, I I I think if I dug deeper, we could come up with some names. And yeah, I it, I wouldn't mind having Dougie back. I think the first version of Dougie. Was a little um, squirrely. I think that he's learned some things over the past few years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he doesn't shy away from being hit nearly as much as he did uh, in his first, like, five years in the league. It would be interesting selling that to the Bruins faithful. Um, if he can bring wins and offense, uh, no one will care. Yeah, that's true. Because, let's face it, a lot of people have become reluctant to turn the games on because they're just terrible. Well, yes. Um, Where did we want to go next? I just uh, I want to cover some of these signings. We got a boatload of signings. I mean, granted, OK, there's only one real major signing here. The rest of them are sort of uh, a couple of them are entry levels and like we have Cole Caulfield signed his entry level with Montreal. Uh, Matt Kirstead signed his signed a deal. Not, I, I don't think he was drafted. It sounds the way the article reads, it sounds like he's undrafted free agent. He was a senior at um, university of North Dakota defenseman, two year entry level with the Panthers, which, and he's already done this because the article came out a couple of days ago, but he was expected to step in straight away because of what had happened to Ekblad. I don't know how he's done. I haven't seen any footage or heard anything negative about him, but haven't heard any good positive either. So I don't know how he's doing. But Kirstead signed at entry level. Uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk agreed to a two-year contract uh, with the capital. So he was expected to try the free agent market. And now he's not. 
but the big one was uh, kind of in the in the in the heat of the night. Uh, Thatcher Demko received a five-year contract from the Canucks on Wednesday. Financial terms not disclosed. Could have been an RFA at the end of the year. Uh, yeah. Probably one of the smarter things they did, even though they've given Holtby, even though they gave Holtby a two-year, $8.6 million deal. So you got veteran backup uh, for a little bit more than you would like to pay. But, but you've also got a firm number one and number two, whichever order you decide to play them in for the next year or two, based on the way that Demko has been, uh, quite frankly, as much as I hate the term, a godsend to the team. He's been pretty good in net. Uh at the time of this writing, 12, 12 and one uh, goals against. And again, like you said before, and it's a team stat, but goals against is a little high at 2.77. Save percentage of 917, one shutout. Uh, but pretty much rested the starting job away from Hopi back around beginning of February. So he's looked great. In March, he's eight and three with a two point one five and a nine thirty seven. So he's getting better. <laughs> and then now they're on pause, unfortunately, because they've had multiple and they had actually more test positive yesterday. So, uh, but he's looked good. So I'm interested to see what the money is. But other than that, I think it's a smart move. But I. I 25 years old so now you got him throughout the prime or most of the prime while we're talking about the Canucks yes there's uh, an article from where is it Uh, oh I have numbers you have numbers go with the numbers Uh, very quickly Demko uh Contract extension, five years, 25 mil. Five million per. So, wow. What not do you exactly, think of that contract? Not exactly expensive. I'm liking the contract. For a number one goaltender, that's not bad. For, On the other. Go ahead. On the other hand, how many games of experience does Thatcher Demko actually have now in the NHL? 25? 30? Wait, were you hoping that he would sign for like three and a half? But we've seen we've seen multiple versions of this before, and most of them do not end well. Okay. Just, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen to Demko. I do like him. I do think he was... Pretty consistent in college. What we're seeing from him uh, in the NHL so far is, quite frankly, kind of fun. But, to date, Thatcher Demko has 62 NHL games. Okay. I think the real argument you're trying to make here is he has zero playoff games. Uh, wait, Wait, did he play in the summer? He did play in the pretend offs, yes. Four okay. games. So okay, so he has four games of playoff experience. 
Well, um, what I'm saying is <clears throat> you have a goaltender who has yet to play a full NHL season. Mm-hmm. Who's still on the young side for coming into the NHL for a goaltender. Okay. Or maybe about average. And you're not that the not that the contract is way over, way high, but that's still a little bit high. If it works out and he keeps playing at the nine seventeen or better save percentage that he has this season, you win. You flat out win. The team wins the contract, the team wins more games. And that's awesome. But last year in 27 games, pretty comparable uh, to the 25 this year, he only had a 905 save percentage. If he plays, if he reverts back to that level, you're ugly. I mean, a 905 thing is save percentage doesn't get you anywhere thing, near the playoffs. But the thing is, he hasn't shown that he's going downhill. He's actually improved since February 1st. Yes, but they're still only playing the same six teams this year. Once they start playing more teams and traveling wider and longer, that is the like one thing last that makes, year. That's the one thing that makes evaluating almost anybody this uh, year this year Horrible. because you're playing the same seven, eight teams, eight. You're playing the same seven teams eight times each. You're not. You can't evaluate against. You've got nothing for comp- comparison. It, so what you're saying is they should have waited and signed him at the end. I, I mean, I understand they locked him up now, get it done. I, I'm I'm compl- I'm actually okay with the contract, but I would I would have preferred either less term or slightly less money. Okay. Like from a purely pragmatic, we have not seen this guy over a full NHL season play 45, 52. 55 games uh, in a season uh, point of view. The only thing that works in his favor this way, this season, as far as the comparison to a full NHL season is the pace of games. There are more games, more compressed than anything but a playoff format we've ever, we've seen in the NHL in ever, ever. So, it doesn't actually, appear he's going to break down? No. It's actually forcing more teams to do things like this. Uh, this particular season, I mean, look at all the – look at the number of goaltenders that we have that are breaking out. you got Kapokakin and the rookie in Minnesota. You've got Kevin Lankin and the surprise out of nowhere in Chicago. you got uh, Nadelkovic in Carolina who I know they were – I shouldn't say I know. I, I – I could tell that they were grooming him. He's already won a Memorial Cup with the Charlotte Checkers. In fact, like four or five, they've got a lot of good homegrown talent in Carolina because four four or so of those guys were actually part of the Memorial Cup team from 2019 with the Checkers. And Nadalkovic was expected to be the, the future number one. Uh, you just look around the league. Ottinger is starting to play out of his skin. I mean, it's forcing the younger goaltenders to play more because you have to. Cal Peterson in in L.A. We're finally getting to see what he can do. Uh, unless Lodar, you pay attention Boston. to L.A. Jack Campbell, who got moved from L.A. 
is ready to take over the job over Fred Anderson in Toronto. I mean, this is, I think this is a season that favors the younger goaltender who can keep their head screwed on straight. Um, I think that a young goalie who gets, you know, routed in two or three games in a row is probably done for a while. Um, But just the ability to recover quickly of a 24 or 25 year old versus a 32 or 34 year old, it's going to it's making a difference this year. Uh, We've played, I mean, the league has played 36, 37 games at most. Mm -hmm. uh, 31 teams, they've 88 goaltenders have been used this season, 88 goaltenders. That's, uh, that's almost three per team. Uh, I'd like to know who the lucky teams are that haven't had to use a third goaltender yet, uh, but I'm certainly not going to spend the time looking it up. Yeah, that might be it. That would actually be a difficult task. I think you only find like one or two teams. And I'm pretty if certain that. that no team has only used one goaltender. Just a oh, hunch. No. no. Just no. a hunch. <laughs> And so I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I just didn't mean to interrupt with it, but I actually got the numbers. I, I found the numbers, so I wanted to get them out since we were. Um, so one of the questions asked this week in a pretty interesting article uh, at the Daily Hive. Opinion, it's time for the Vancouver Canucks to make room for their young players uh, Rob Williams published this on the 26th. Um, he talks about uh, Jim Benning uh, going that the team is living day to day, which at the executive level may not be the best plan. But, you know, that is how the players and the coaches live. Mm-hmm. Uh, talks about Travis Green being hired uh, to win games as many games as he can. Um, but then he talks about some of the players who aren't playing. Michael DiPietro has not played a competitive game in 380 days. Um, because as their quote, uh, top goaltending prospect, uh, he's been left to rot. He's a 21 year old. He, there's very little time left this year and, they either needs to get into the NHL games because the the mountain they need to climb to catch uh, Montreal or Edmonton for a spot uh, in the north that's is a mis- pretty high. The DiPietro, that's a mistake that should never have been made in the first place. They never should have put DiPietro on the taxi squad. Yes. And so they're saying it's long past time to send him uh, to, to Utica and find any other goalie to sit and wait as insurance. Go hire the um, guy who drives a Zamboni for the Marlies and the emergency goaltender. I can't remember his name. Get anyone, him. literally yeah. anyone. Uh, another one slowly rotting away is Ole Ulevi. Another taxi squad. Yeah. Yeah. I if if there's a big mistake that Venning made this year, it's how he constructed his taxi squad. Um, Adam Gaudet. Uh, has played sparingly. Uh, he's played under. He's averaged under 11 minutes a night, 13th among Canucks, Canucks forwards. 
um, and and pushed more the more to the wing. Um, and this is so that older players, guys who are probably not going to be on the team in three or four years, like Hamonic, Ben, Suter, Beagle, um, can play. Yes. It's he goes. Rob Williams points out that yes, it's justifiable if you actually expect to win now and hit the playoffs. But Benning has said he doesn't expect them to be a playoff team for two more years. And I don't know, you know, this team is, he says that this team is as good as its record. If that's the case, it, yeah, you need to move the rest of those players. For as much as you can get, move the elder statesman, mm-hmm. pick one or two that you're going to hold on to uh, for the next playoff run. Um, I and then you know start dumping guys over 32. <laughs> um, yeah. That squad. may mean I, Alex Edler. It may mean uh, I don't think it's going to mean. Uh, it, it probably means Jordy Ben. Uh, Travis Amonic, you can probably hold on to, uh, or resign in another year. Um, Braden Holtby, we've already talked about him effectively losing the starting job already. Yeah. Um, Adam Gaudet is currently listed as a non-roster player. I believe he might be one of the ones who's, uh, tested positive. Well, 14, 14 players on Vancouver have tested positive, so. Um, and then you've got that long, long list. Uh, well, you've got four guys on the long-term injured reserve, um, including Elias Pedersen. You know, you're going to want him back in your lineup as soon as he's available. Like, nah. as soon as he's healthy and can stand up, you want why would him you, back. Why would you want to call the trophy winner on your squad? It's okay. No me. idea. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. I mean, the only person it really makes sense who's currently on their taxi squad for them to be there is Louis Erickson. You're getting some cap relief. There's there's three kids on there's three kids on here, and by kids I mean kids. There's three kids: Pietro's 21, Oliu Levy, and Cole Lind are 22. They should not be on the taxi squad. Those they, three kids should be playing in Utica and getting ice time. Like. If you genuinely believe that DiPietro is the dude going forward, whether he's two years away, three years away, five years away even, mm-hmm. yeah, he needs to play 70% of the games in he Utica. He needs to be seeing pucks and not and just in his driveway. It doesn't matter how, many ex- how, how much extra time he stays on the ice with the injured squad or uh, the guys who want, uh, to take a, who want to shoot an extra bucket of pucks before games. Ask any player. It's not the same. Ask any. That's what I was going to say. Ask any player. You cannot substitute for in-game experience. Speed, uh, just learning tendencies. You can't substitute anything for in-game experience. And pure, the pure randomness of shots and deflections and uh, just getting bumped. I mean, in practice, guys are much more careful not to bump their own goaltender than you see in an NHL game. So is is this Rob Williams? And I read this. Uh, I've read this as well. I 
he seems to be focused on the other two. I mean, Vancouver is a young squad to begin with. I mean, for the most part, yes. Got that. Uh, Vertan and Besser, uh, Bo Horvat, they're all young, mid 20s. I mean, I was just looking. I, I was just looking up on Cap Renly because I wanted to, to be sure. They have zero. They have one, two forwards. Yes, two forwards that are over thirty years old. Two. Antoine oh, Roussel well, two and healthy Brandon ones, Sutton. Yeah. Two healthy ones. Excuse me. Uh, Jay Beagle is on the injured reserve. He's thirty-five. Yeah, and Furland is. Actually, Furland's only twenty-eight. So you got a third forward. At 35 and you've got and Louis Erickson on uh, on squad. the taxi squad. But you look at this: Bo Horvat, twenty-five; Bastard, twenty-four; even J.T. Miller, who's probably this is going to sound weird, but best player, best best, best all-around player. player, best yeah, best three-zone player, sure. J.T. Miller, and I I I love J.T. Miller. I think five and a quarter for him is cheap. Um. I think that's actually a steal. Five and a quarter for JT Miller. Um, there's a guy who could easily get seven. Another argument for another time. Vertanen, 24. I mean, seriously, Mott, 26. And when did they get Jimmy Vesey? I missed that one. Uh, Last time I saw, I he was in, I thought he was in Ottawa. He was in Ottawa. <laughs> or, or <laughs> he moves around more than, uh, more than Old I Dominion. He's actually months. only a second NHL team, but yeah. Is it really? I Jimmy could have Vesey? sworn he came, he went straight Rangers, to signed by the Rangers, played with them, yep. dealt to uh, or signed with. You no, know, uh, you're right. He did go to Buffalo and Toronto. Buffalo first. was the other one. Yeah. New York, Buffalo, and then Toronto. Oh, it was Toronto, not not Ottawa. Toronto. Okay. I seriously, this is his fourth NHL. The guy moves around more than. This was a guy who, when he came out of Harvard, was, was supposed to be the best of the best. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody yeah. fighting over him contracts and he wasn't going to go with Nashville and blah, 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 whatever. OK. And your total goals in 338 games is 64. With five of them in 34 games this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty then. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, but they're just a young squad. I mean, so sitting there saying they need to play the young guys, they kind of already are. Well, yes and no. I mean, the fact that Jay Beagle has gotten more time at center than Adam Gaudet, and admittedly Gaudet, we did see some defensive issues when he was playing in college, but you know that's somewhat to be expected. But you don't iron out those wrinkles without wanting to and being allowed to. Yeah. And if you're not being allowed to, it's never going to happen. I mean, in the Scotia North, Vancouver is in fifth place, but they are six points behind Montreal for the for the uh, much desired fourth spot and play, first playoff spot. And yeah, how many games in hand does Montreal have? Uh, Although that number is going to shift again, given the pause for the Canucks. Vancouver, yeah. But Montreal currently has three games in hand. They played 34, Vancouver 37. 
In fact, Montreal has games in hand over everybody in the Scotia North. Uh, yeah, Boston. Well, Boston's in a similar situation with uh, having games in hand on everybody in the I think Mass Mutual East. I think that's because they have already gone through their little postponements Hiatus. and hiatuses. Yeah. Which is what Vancouver is dealing with now. And, and it's it, OK. So then play the young guys. But like I said, it's already a young team. I don't know that Rob Williams is accurate when he says play the young guys. I think he needs to say, to play the young guys correctly or in their correct positions. Like you said, Adam got, you know, Jay Beagle taking time away from Adam Gaudet. You know, this is the time where you let Adam Gaudet get that in-game experience. Yes. And you <laughs> need to specifically say to your coach as uh, if you're Jim Benning, play the young guys. They're going to be here. I want to see it. And then we'll talk about your contract or just sign Travis green to a new contract because he's a good coach and you should keep him or want to keep him. Um, I'm guessing the other, the other thing would be to, to try and figure out who's making the decisions on whether Beagle should play or, or obviously he's not right now, but you know, whether it should be a Brendan Sutter or somebody else, you know, who's making those calls? Is it green or is it, or is it Benning telling him he needs to play these other players for whatever reason? Maybe he's trying to showcase Sutter and, and whoever, cause he wants to deal them. I don't know. Um, okay. What else do we have on the board for the day? Uh, Something that I actually brought uh, found after last week's show, um, the AHL uh, has found themselves a new a, a new vice president of hockey operations. Uh, young lady's name is Haley Moore. Haley Moore will be responsible for overseeing the league's on-ice operations, including management of the NA, of the AHL officiating program and the league's disciplinary process. She has expe- extensive experience at every level of hockey and will provide outstanding leadership in her role with the AHL, said Housen. On behalf of our Board of Governors, I am pleased and excited to welcome her. She was pre- She's currently president of the Boston Pride, and that's why this came up, because the Boston Pride won the Isobel Cup. From 2017 to 19, she was deputy commissioner and director of player development for the NWHL. I mean, she's a native of Wakefield, Massachusetts. She was two-year captain, all-Ivy selection at Brown University. She played for the Boston Blades of the Canadian Women's Hockey League. She's also played in Switzerland. I mean, perfect background for what she's doing. Now she's going to be... Vice President of AHL, congratulations to Haley Moore. Seriously, that's fabulous. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, one of those really fun success stories of someone working their way to their goals, to their dreams, and not letting the doubters say that they can't. And that's something I always love to see. The fabulous thing. It really is. And and like I said, I, I found the story after 
Mm-hmm. And it was literally it literally came out like the day after the pride one. And, and, and clearly it's because of her connection, too. But it, for her to get promoted that, or get a, uh, earning, I don't want to say it was given her earning that position of vice president. Uh, good for her and good for the AHL. Uh, yep. Uh, we did. Did we mention Spencer Knight signing with the Florida Panthers uh, yet? I did not mention the signing. No, I, I when I was talking about signings, I completely skipped over Spencer. Spencer Knight, who we've gotten the chance to see live and in uh, Technicolor a few times. Oh, yeah. Um, has finally left the college building. Um and after uh, a couple of years at BC, um, his most recent season, I know that's not his most recent season, but uh, he's a former Hobie Baker award winner, which might be good, might be bad. Um, it was certainly good at the time. Um, I, ha- I have been known to call it the peaked too early award, but that's because I'm Did a terrible get- person. Did he get the Hobie Baker, or was he just named a finalist? Um, I thought he was named a finalist. He won the he's hockey's goaltender of the year. Uh, you're right. He might have only been a finalist, which is probably better. Oh, well, yeah, well, it, it, I know that you believe that the Hobie Baker Award is more of a curse because and and and. Once you explained it to me, I have to agree because you think about it. Jimmy Vesey was a Hobie Baker Award winner. Yep. Four teams in four <laughs> years. Jimmy Vesey won the Hobie Baker Award. Okay. Oops. Um, trying to think. Was was Eichel a Hobie Baker winner? Uh, Eichel actually was a Hobie, Hobie Baker. So is he the exception to the rule or? And so was Kale McCarr. Uh, Jack Eichel has been hurt a lot in his career, which Mm -hmm. is somewhat daunting. Um, Johnny Gaudreau won it, and he's been reasonable. Yeah. I mean, he's been a consistent NHL player. I think at this point he probably qualifies as a middle six player on a contender. Um. And it's too soon to tell on Scott uh, Peronovich, uh, the 2020 winner. Adam Gaudet, we just talked about uh, not getting enough ice time. Will Butcher has completely disappeared after his first season in the league. Um, so, yeah, when you think about it, the Hobie Baker is not exactly – I mean, it it is what it is. It's an award for being the best college player that year. Yeah. Which it's is an awesome by thing no to be. means It's by no means an, any indicator of future success. Ooh. And I think, that, I think that there are those in media and just fans in general who think that Hobie Baker Award means this guy's going to be Hall of Fame material. And that's not historically true. I mean, if you look at the last uh, 20-ish years of – of the award, there is going back to 2000. There is not a single guy who can who you can say is a clear cut Hall of Famer. 
You can make the argument that Ryan Miller, who won in 2001, is a Hall of Famer. Jack Eichel, Johnny Goudreau, Kale McCarr have the potential for Hall of Famers. Okay. But that's it. Um, You go back before 2000 to... um, Let's see. You look at the uh, Jason Krug, Chris Drury, yes, Hall of Famer. Brendan Morrison... Um, and then you have three guys I've literally never heard of in 96 through 94, Paul Correa in 93, who was, yeah, kind of good. <laughs> and then Scott Pellerin, David Emma, Kip Miller, and Lane, uh, and Lane McDonald round out the 90s. And you look back and, and, and George McPhee did win back in 82. I think the Mike Richter Award might be a little bit more indicative of success. Um, uh, for best goaltender? For best goaltender, yes. I mean, obviously, yes. Swayman, who beat him out in 2019 uh, Which I still has find not surprising. Played much. A year before that, some guy named Caden Primo, who I still can't wait to see in the NHL, even if it is for Canadians. Uh, some guy named Thatcher Demko won it in 15-16. Uh, Connor Hellebuck won it in 13-14. Really, thanks. Um, and, oh, some guy the Bruins drafted, Zane McIntyre, won it in 14-15. Unfortunately, he... And the Bruins messed up his development hardcore. Yes. That hardcore. Was, like, but, literally every step. I mean, it's only been awarded since the 13-14 season, so Hallebach was the first winner of it. First of all, you got one, two, three, four guys from Hockey East who have won the award. Um, okay. <laughs> so We do call it the pre-pros. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, it's just... If Spencer Knight, you know, is was a finalist for this, I'm, Jeremy Swayman had himself a fabulous year before he signed. I think Spencer Knight is going to be a good goaltender in the NHL. The one thing I don't want to see out of him, and I kind of saw it this year with Boston College. I mean, this is a, a screwy season anyway. I get it. But after the first goal gets by him, he almost looks let down, like he gets a little dejected. And it takes him a little bit of time to kind of recover from that. He's got to shake that off. I don't think he's yeah. as bad as Flurry was in his younger days. I mean, Flurry, once the first one got by him, four the next more two did shots it. had an 80% chance of going in. Yeah. I don't think he's at that point, but he does get a little dejected and he's got to learn to shake that off. Other than that, his fundamentals are great. I think he's going to be a really good goaltender. Hopefully they don't rush him, but at the same point in time, you don't want to stick him. Uh, you don't want to pull a DPHO and stick him on a taxi squad straight away either. So, but I think he's going to be a good one. I don't know if he'll be as good as, as, as Caden Primo. He, he looks really good in college and, I wish him much luck. Congratulations on the contract. Okay. Uh, narrowing the field of things left on the board. Um, yes. Brady Kachuk and Shea Weber got into <laughs> a little tilt uh, the other night. Not a spectacular fight. Two guys, 6'4", 
Um, Weber's been in the I league didn't realize since Brady Kachuk was six four. He doesn't look six four. Well, he's not mm. as heavy as a lot of guys. I mean, they have him listed at two eleven, which uh, isn't very significant when is you're that, that with, tall. Is that with pads on? <laughs> it might be, um, but the fight was unspectacular. I mean, there were a couple of haymakers thrown, a few good shots landed, but nothing major. Um, Kachuk, you know, wrestled uh, Weber into the back of the net and things ended there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brady's comments after the fight were just the best. <laughs> like there's few actual interviews of players, coaches, general managers that are actually worth doing after a game. But Brady Kachuk's comments, just the best. Here, uh, this is uh, quoting a TSN uh, 1200 tweet uh, from the other night. Uh, when fighting Weber, you hold on for dear life. Fighting a guy bigger and stronger than me was something new. It was fun. I think we both thought it was fun. And that I, wonder if Weber, I wonder if Weber thought it was fun. I'd have to ask. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what he has to say. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I love Brady Kachuk. <laughs> Well, you should read. I mean, some of the some of the com- replies and whatnot that you read after it, it's like put the C on his chest already. Uh, I love this one. Brady Kachuk looks like the most developed thirteen-year-old in the world. <laughs> he still does look really, really, really young. He does. Yes. Um, it's it's somewhat hilarious uh, how lo- young he looks and how brutally physical he still is on the ice um hard not to admire i mean the fans in ottawa love this kid clearly and they should i I actually oh oh this one will make you chuckle since you like to uh grill haven't seen someone work a weber like that since my dad that one year at the canada day barbecue (laughs) um sometimes the the comments are worth reading (laughs) and possibly the best interview of the entire month Mm -hmm. maybe the entire season uh response goes to keegan kolsar oh goodness poor keegan my literally my lead in for this story on our on our board is ask stupid questions. Yes, that's very, very much in the theme of play stupid no. games, win stupid prizes. No. Reporter asked Keegan Colsar how he felt about being uh, about being robbed, flat out robbed on two consecutive shots uh, uh, the other night. And Keegan Colsar just lifts his eyes, looks straight at him and says, what do you think? Now, in his defense, if you haven't seen them, it basically Cam Talbot should have been uh, cuffed right then and there because those were filthy larcenous. Every other possible word out of the thesaurus you could find for stealing, it was that's what it was. It was it was criminal. I mean, Kolasar should have had a goal on one or both of those shots, and 
I feel I feel for the guy after the, after the first one against the he, they follow him around and as he's skating around into the corner and he's looking up to the roof like what do I have to do? <laughs> I mean, and this is this is after his first. Uh, this is the interview after his first goal, uh, or after yeah. He, he just first of all asking that question immediately after uh, just no. What kind of response are you expecting? I mean, are you really expecting a guy to say, I wanted to go home and hug my teddy bear and call my mommy and cry? Of course not. I just no. Try harder. I don't Literally, know. Who, just try harder. I don't know who the re- I don't know who the reporter was that asked that question. I'd like to put a dare out to him, though, or maybe I should double dog dare him or something. Go ask that same question of John Tortorella. <laughs> yeah, or or better still, get some sort no, no, no. of heavy Go. armor, then ask John Tortorella. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ask that question of Evander Kane. I want to see you ask Evander Kane that question. I don't know about that. <laughs> that that might not be healthy for the reporter. <laughs> yes, but it could be a learning experience. <laughs> Yes, if physical <laughs> damage could be considered a learning experience. Uh, <laughs> hey, the burned hand teaches best. I mean, you know, I guess the bruised face and torso and, uh, you know. Hand on a hot stove, you don't do it again. Evander <laughs> <laughs> Kane, yeah, that wouldn't be, I mean. John would certainly lace them up, but it would be verbally. Um, oh, Evander Kane's responses would be just as hot. Uh, it could be just as hot as Totorella's. I mean, I, I just I, I feel bad. Kane for Kane stays in the league for like another thirty years. That would be yes, delightful. Uh, you know, he's holy hell. He's twenty nine. I did not realize he was that old yet. Really, twenty nine. He's been around forever. Hello. Uh, 33 points in 37 games means that he's <clears throat> not terrible, despite the team that he's on this year. Um, because wonder, they are. I wonder if he could score that many goals in Boston. Just saying. That would be fun, especially if he could play on the right wing and do it. Uh, he's normally a left wing, but if you could put him on the right wing, imagine a line with Evander Kane and Brad Marchand. Okay. Brad's a very fun guy to watch, especially when you're Casey DeSmith. And how in the heck did that draw zero response? Zero. I haven't I, I, until you told me. I had no clue that I, I I missed it in the game. Obviously, I don't know if I was getting up to get an adult beverage or what I was doing, but I clearly missed it. And. Now, I haven't read or seen anything about it. It was a two-hander right to the chest of Dismith. Okay, so I don't remember what point it was in the game, but the game, it was probably the second period. Okay. Um, Dismith stops clearly three, four feet outside the crease on, on his knees. Puck is loose. Brad Marchand is moving at Brad Marchand's speed, doing what he does and going after the puck. The puck is loose on, I think it was, it might've been either between uh, the Smith's legs or on one of his pads. 
and Brad Marchand puts his hands out and shoves the Smith's back a good foot and goes after the puck again. The Smith manages to catch the puck. Okay. But literally none of the Penguins players responded even a little. I I don't understand how you don't generate response. It was okay. It was clearly legal because he's outside the crease to make contact. Yeah. And Brad did it in a way that isn't going to cause injury. On the other hand, A, it's Brad Marchand. B, it's the Penguins. C, they played for the second time in less than 48 hours. And, well, let's face it, the Penguins have never, ever shied away from dirty tricks. You mean, like, flopping and oh, okay, embellishment and... We look, I, I hate it. I hate embellishment almost more than almost as much as actual cheap shots in the NHL. I really way to get it out of the game. And it's got, it's been bad enough over the years that I stopped calling Sidney Crosby on most of his dives, flops (laughs) and embellishments. Last, (laughs) last, last night's game or yesterday afternoon's game he should probably win both a uh, both a, an Emmy and a Razzie for that embellishment. Was he hit? I'm 80% certain he was. You would genuinely think, from the way that he threw his head back, that Patrice Bergeron had speared him in the face by first swinging a bat with a back swing to the extent of his reach and then jamming it into Sidney Crosby's face. Like from the reaction, if I knew next to nothing about hockey, I would not have been surprised to see the stick coming out of the back of Sidney Crosby's head. By the way, if you go watch that face off, Crosby's stick comes dangerously close to hitting Bergeron in the face before Bergeron actually gets him. Crosby's stick was up first. Um, (laughs) Does that mean that, Bergeron wasn't irresponsible for uh, for making contact, assuming he did, which he most likely did. No, it was contact, but there was it no was blood contact. drawn. It was a two minute minor at best. It was a two minute minor. And that embellishment, if he's not fined for that, like legitimately not fined for that, uh, the said, the NHL Office of Player Safety should just be closed, like just close it. As I've said before, there is a way to get embellishment out of the game. The first step is actually calling it on the ice. And, and you know what? I think that the first thing that you need to do, the, like the next CBA, if you actually want to get embellishment out of the game, it's a five-minute major and a game misconduct the second time that you've been that any any player has been called for embellishment that season, or the fourth time that a team is called for embellishment that season. You start costing people major penalties and pulling a player out of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to see embellishment go away a lot, a lot faster. And by the way, not to drag it out, but I want to drag it out uh, very quickly. Four minutes to Bergeron. I don't recall them finding any bleeding because that was the first thing you hear the commentator. Oh, is it blood? Oh, is there blood? Yeah. And the, and the I, trainer is looking at him like, like uh, looking at Crosby, like, no, you dumb something. Yeah. There's nothing bleeding. 
Like, even the trainer was slightly appalled at the level of embellishment. There's no blood. There's no bleeding. But yet they skate there's out. No blood. No bleeding. Minute, no missing four teeth. Minutes, four minutes. Four minutes. And, 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 oh, Jack. At the end of the game. Jack, Jack, Jack. <laughs> What's the four minutes for? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fairly certain they just unplugged Jack Edwards' mic at some point because he quieted down way too fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Either that or they just started pumping, like, laughing gas into his booth um, just to calm him down a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because... That had the potential to get ugly in the commentator's booth there with Jack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just I yeah, I, I don't understand it. I don't get the four minutes. I don't get. And, and as I was saying to you pre-show, I understand that superstars have a little bit more impact on bringing people, putting butts in the seats. I mean, yes, there are faithful fans who root for their team no matter what. But the superstars do tend to bring them in or the quote unquote superstars, because sometimes it's not a superstar. Sometimes it's just a guy who plays and fights, you know, punches well beyond his fighting weight. And people want to see those players as well. But I mean, Bostonians remember Byron bits with way more affection than absolutely necessary. But he was greatly entertaining for a while. But again, those superstars wear the same pads as everybody else. They wear the same, they, you know, play the same game at the same speed, in the same arena, on the same ice, with the same potential of injury, with the same potential for success. Yes. I, I, why are we giving them so much preferential treatment? And it's every sport. It's not just hockey. It's every sport does this. Somehow, the superstars get the call, go their way. Or don't get the call as it may be if Crosby, you know, trips somebody. Oh, it was inadvertent. No, he reached out and he hooked his foot right out from under him. It's illegal. You know, that type of thing. It's. I understand that you want to take care of them a little bit more, but they should still be subjected to the same rules, regs, and that includes embellishment. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> There's no way that I can disagree with you. Um, we, between the Tim Peels of the NHL and the Sidney Crosby uh, Acting Academy, um, there's a lot of nonsense uh, that just shouldn't be happening. Uh, I would be inclined. Yeah, I, I, I just, it's that, it's the embellishment stuff that just gets to me, really. It, it's, because there's no need for it. I mean, a ref, if he sees it, is going to see it. I mean, you don't need to make it look so obvious that it's ridiculous. And in the ridiculous. And in this case, it's there's in this case when you're literally at the faceoff and nothing else is happening yet, the puck is still within six feet of you. There's zero chance one of the officials isn't going to see it. Zero. Well, hello, the linesman's dropping the puck. So everybody is focused on the face-off, including yes. the official, including the guys with the orange stripes that call the penalties. <laughs> uh, and we do have this one last story from the hockey writers. 
um, that you uh, that you picked up, and I think is a brilliant, brilliant piece of work. I I I, I read this, and in in honor of the fact a year ago we were talking about the Buffalo Sabers, this made me think of them. And it's written by Jeff Morris, April. 1st 2021 I mean so it's relative it's relevant if teams stuck in a rut at the bottom of the standings wish they could have a Vegas Golden Knights like do-over now they can apparently the NHL has announced a proposal for the introduction of a reset draft what is a reset draft you ask well for the price of 250 million dollars any franchise can walk away from all of its existing contracts and re-enter the league with an expansion draft under the same rules that Vegas had in their draft. Buffalo? Go for it. <laughs> should Buffalo be doing this? I Buffalo should go for it, and maybe Arizona? It's, it's Some teams are spinning their wheels, and, and it sounds like a fabulous idea, and you can't do this. There are rules to it. You can't actually do it two years in a row. Uh, it's just, I thought this was a, a brilliant idea. And then I read the final line of the article. And this is how we're going to close the show. Even if this is an April Fool's joke, wouldn't it be a great idea? I Honestly, it is, in my opinion, a reasonable idea. I would limit it to one uh, to you only get to do it once every 15 years. And I would also limit it to no more than three teams doing it in any, we'll call it seven year period. And do I think it would actually happen very often? No. Most owner, most ownership groups are too, No, I, I don't think it would happen often, but I think that, yes, it could actually do some very I mean, interesting it's, things. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I like the tale of it. One of the most interesting scenarios that could happen involves two teams wanting to buy into the reset draft in the same season. So, Lou Flerpa. Yes. Loving things backwards. Yes. Look it up. Proposing a lottery in case more than one team wants to buy into the draft. Under this plan, teams will have until the end of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs to decide if they want to enter the reset draft. If more than one team declares, then a lottery will be held. Lottery will be weighted with the team with the fewest number of points in the previous season having a greater chance. Team is not allowed to win the reset draft lottery more than twice in any five-year span. If the proposal is approved, it could change the landscape of sports forever. Tanking a season in order to get a better shot at the first overall pick may be a thing of the past. It may also change the way teams approach the draft deadline. Because you'll see fewer trades where teams unload their superstars for a bunch of prospects. Teams can now let their stars play out their contracts and not upset their fan bases if they know they are going to enter the reset draft and being a part of the reset draft. And the draft lottery will surely excite hockey fans everywhere. I mean, it is a joke. You read it and you you, you say to yourself, this has to be a joke. And obviously it is. But it's a well-written joke. But it's, it's, actually, it's, 
it's well written for one thing, and for another thing, it makes you think. As I said, I wouldn't be opposed to it actually being adopted by the NHL because it might be the only way to fix certain franchises without forcing ownership to sell. And there's only so many billionaires or billion dollar groups that actually want to own an NHL team. I mean, we're going to have the Seattle Kraken this year. The Seattle Kraken this fall. And I think that genuinely, unless the KHL collapses, like completely collapses down to like 10 teams or less, I don't think you can actually manage to put another NHL team or another pair of NHL teams together for another 10 years at minimum, probably closer to 15. And speaking of the uh, KHL, um, another uh, NHL failure, and it's safe to call him that, um, who is doing well in the NHL, um, former 45th pick in the 2010 draft, has spent the last two seasons with the Minsk Dynamo. Uh, in the 1920 season, he had 37 points in 43 games. Uh, he was a minus 31 there, but um, still not a terrible season to be most of a point a game. And this okay. season, also for the Minsk Dynamo, in 36 games, 39 points, and uh, effectively even at a minus one, Ryan Spooner. Are you doing this for my benefit because I was a Spooner fan? Ryan Spooner in 1920 season. He actually led the team in scoring. With 37 points, that would worry me. And this year he is, oh, wow, I think right behind, he is right behind uh, Shane Prince, another, didn't they both play together in Ottawa? Uh, It's a good possibility, yeah. Uh, Name is familiar. Shane Prince was drafted the next year in 2011. Um, he, but yeah, they did both play for the 67s. Um, the right behind him this year is the, is, uh, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. Uh, sorry. Thinking of someone else. Petersburg Pete's, uh, was where, uh, Spooner spent most of his, uh, junior career. He did spend some time with the Frontiacs and the Sting as well. But Ryan Spooner um, can add leading a a professional team uh, in scoring to his resume. Actually, Ottawa is the point per game season. Actually, Ottawa is the one team that I think Spooner always wanted to play for in the NHL and never got his chance. I think you may well be right because he's from Canada, Ontario. And there's a couple of other interesting uh, – there's a couple of other names on this team that you might uh, have heard of. Rob Klinkhammer. That's a name you can't forget. Uh, there's a <laughs> defenseman, Ryan Murphy, age 27. Okay. Um, nope, nope, nope. Ryan I thought Spooner. there were one or two more that uh, we had seen uh, on this side of the pond. It's it, it, it's nice to see that Ryan is succeeding. I mean, I don't know if it was 
his he, game doesn't fit or if his he, he didn't like the fact that he was asked to play a wing because he felt he was a both. center. I, I mean, he cut corners, not quite as bad as the other kid they drafted that year at center. Um, the Russian kid whose name I'm completely forgetting. In 2010? Uh, I don't I'm, I'm actually looking it up because I don't remember. They drafted some kid second overall that year. You know, uh, it's a no, it was kid. either that year or the year after. Um, I got some Sagan kid. Um, oh, they drafted some other kid, right winger, Jared Knight. Oh, cool, Jeff. Oh, Coco. Yes, I remember Coco. He's another one that I don't I don't want to say that because no, he didn't he get his way. No, he cut too many corners. Yes. That I would agree with. Uh, and he's playing for Omsk uh, Avangard this year and is like sixth in scoring on that team. Okay. And our and our buddy Jared Knight uh, has not played hockey in several years, having finished out uh, in Denmark. Zane Zane McIntyre's in the uh, KHL. Uh, what's he up to? Oh, not good. He's played in six games with Riga Dynamo. Yep. Um, ten goals That's against. But the trouble is that he's only played 129 minutes, so his goals against is a 4.65. Sounds like, like he's being put in in relief of his uh, save. Yeah, his save percentage is wow. I think I could do better. 7.96. Ouch. Yeah. It sounds like that team is not uh, good. The Riga Dynamo. I don't think the team is good. I mean, uh, Martin's Desercles. I kind of recognize that name, but there aren't any names on this roster that I recognize as far as. Uh, yeah, no. The top points getter on the team is 39 points, Mix Andrasis. Uh, top goal scorer. He's also a top goal scorer with 16. They only have four players in double digits for goals scored. That's an ungood sign. And they've also used, what is that, seven, let's see, three. They've used eight goaltenders in 50-something games. That's uh, generally How do you use ungood. eight goaltenders? In fifty so in fifty five games, <laughs> do you use eight gold? I I okay three. Vegas obviously the, the the first year with with four or five, and and that was scary when they were down to their fifth goalie. Uh, I had never eight. seen that eight. They are nine forty one o and o seven and three. The three being shootout losses. So. Ungood doesn't even come close to it. All right. Their points percentage is two thirty three. That's a good. That's a decent. That's a poor batting average, much less a points percentage. Wow. 
Yeah, that's okay. So we can't we can't judge Zane McIntyre on that. No, he does have two penalty minutes. I'm guessing that was in frustration for some reason. <laughs> for, why, why would he have frustration? There's not a goaltender on the team with a higher than 889 save percentage. Stanislav Galimov. Oh my, that's ugh. that is an ungood team. I mean, I could play for them. Dude, I might be able to play for them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you. Uh, Happy Easter to those celebrating. We will talk to you next Sunday. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe. We are that much closer. We are that much closer to the trade deadline. Uh, It's worth looking into. I suppose it. I suppose we could do something, you know, quick 20 minutes or so, half an hour. and Yeah, nothing major, just like right at 3.30, sit down and start recording or whenever the trade deadline actually passes. Um, uh, okay. We'll sit down, record 30, 40 minutes and uh, shoot it out. I mean, it is the day after we record. So, yeah, quick one after that. Sure. Awesome. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen next week. Take care.